warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies. With just a hint of professionalism, Scott here. Good morning. At the other end of a Skype line up in York, it's my very good friend Stephen. Good morning, mate. Good morning, mate. How are you doing? I'm fine. Very special episode today. It's the long-awaited, long-promised Sean Connery tribute, or the first of our Sean Connery tribute episodes. I mean, we, we lost the dear old gentleman just under a year ago. And, and straight away, you know, on the news of his sad death, that we, we decided we wanted to do something. So what we've planned is we've, we've sort of picked a an obvious Sean Connery and a not-so-obvious Sean Connery, I think you'll agree, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. You know, we, we knew that our schedule wouldn't allow us to get anything out immediately for the man. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time we actually did fit something in it might be further down the line it might even be uh, close to the anniversary but the uh, it isn't it's random it it's random but, um, <laughs> but uh, the, you know there's always there's always a time to watch uh, a good time is to watch Sean Connery films yeah. um, and absolutely this one is one that isn't one of the more well known and acclaimed ones it's one that he had a, a, a good regard for himself mm-hmm. apparently yeah um but it's not one of the ones that people would would see as a go-to one under scene um, so right to highlight it and bring it to the uh to the masses um uh, all, I, all two of you i don't think we could take full credit for that either because i'm pretty sure this was a listener request going back about two years ago it might have been chris forgive me if i'm wrong guys but whoever did ask us to review this here it is and we've made it part of the part of the connery tribute now, regular listeners will also be aware of one of my other podcasts, which is the Stinking Pause podcast. They're going to be joining in. My other co-hosts on that particular show are going to be joining in with a bit of a Connery tribute. And again, listen to this, Stephen. They're not go-to Connery choices, right? What we've done for the Stinking Pause, and we're going to put all four episodes out round about the same sort of time. So you can listen to this one. Uh, the other one we're doing, we'll let you in. Should we let the other, let listener know what the other one of? Go on, yeah. We're going to do Goldfinger. It's the next in the Bond series, so that's the one that is probably the more obvious one. For yeah. Stinking Paws, Hunt for Red October, an Entrapment. The thing is, you, <laughs> what you're doing is you're doing a spread of of his films and his career, and you're, you're managing to also give an overview of the range of accents that he was able to do. The, yes, the same one. Because <laughs> um, I, I remember uh, the other week listening to the Talking Pictures TV yeah. uh, podcast, which is a great listen. It is indeed. Um, the, uh, they were talking about one of Sean Connery's films where he's, he's in Sweden playing a, a, some siege at an airport and he's an anti-terrorist ransom. officer or something Ran- like that. And his accent, yeah, ransom. Mm. And his accent, you know, again, is, is oh. as great as you could expect. Uh, from Sean Connery. Prime example's um, Highlander, isn't it? Where he was a Spanish, Scottish, Egyptian or something, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. 
and and he just sounds like he's from Edinburgh at the end of the day, you know. So. <laughs> Which is strange. <laughs> but love him or hate him, because I think I don't think there's many people that actually despise Sean Connery's work. I think there's a lot of admiration out there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the Bond movies that really sort of defined that, you know, with, without Bond... Uh, he would not have become the star that he was. We we know that. And it wasn't all James Bond and action movies. There's some real depth to the to the some some of the roles and the parts that he played. I mean, back on a stinking pause again, going back a few years, this is the reason we didn't choose it. We reviewed The Offence, which I would like to review with you at some point, mate, but it's yeah, quite a yeah, heavy yeah. quite a heavy watch, as most people know, you know. But, you know, one of the highlights of his acting abilities you know perfectly highlighted there in that particular movie but then you get some wacky stuff where you get almost cameo appearances in things like time bandits which we saw him in previously and um, uh, you got zardoz zardoz exactly you know so <laughs> <laughs> and then you know oscar winning performances in the untouchables but was it the one that he should have won the oscar for possibly not you know so we've got some stuff coming up you know we're lucky that there's a lot of british content as well coming up it's not just hollywood stuff that we can't unfortunately you know we can't use on this podcast because of the nature of it um but there's some great british stuff like the hill you know from the 60s you know yeah yeah uh, i mean you've already covered like some you know number of appearances for him already mm. uh, which is is good that we've we've managed to to get through some um some of his non-Bond films yeah. already, yeah. thankfully. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hell Driver's um, been a, a, an example wow. of that. Wow, yeah, forgot about that, yeah. Uh, what else we did? The Man Who Will Be King, didn't we, I think? Yeah, again, yeah, that was another one which was outside of the, the, the Bond oeuvre. Yeah. yeah, well, we've only covered two Bonds, haven't we, at the moment? Mm, so far, yeah. Um, and a very good link to the second Bond throughout this movie as well. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. Yeah. Shall we do this? It's Robin and Marion from 1976. Not, as we say, an obvious choice, but pretty sure it was a listener's request from a few years ago, which we finally got round to doing. And it's a perfect opportunity to review it because do you think we would have covered this eventually? It's going to be very way down on the list, I'd have thought, wouldn't you? I would have said, yeah, it it, it wouldn't have um, it wouldn't have got covered f- probably for for several years, I would imagine. So it been brought up um, by one of our valued listeners um, uh, and provoking us to actually do it. I think is a good shout. Okay, perfect opportunity to do it. It's, it's one of our episodes relating to the great Sean Connery. Here's the trailer. We'll be back after this. For over six centuries, the legend of Robin Hood and Maid Marian has inspired hundreds of ballads, books, operas, plays, and movies. And now, the legend becomes a love story. Columbia Pictures presents Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn in Robin and Marian. Go fight the sheriffs and the kings. I love you and you make me proud. I thought the man was dead. He's back in Sherwood. Robin is back in Sherwood, I said. We're here to serve you, Robin. And fight against that king. They're flocking to him in hundreds. He's become a legend. Have you ever tried to fight a legend? 
To some, he was a hero who would bring them hope. To some, he was a common thief to be hunted down. To some, he was an enemy to be respected and feared. To Marion, the woman he loved, he was her man. You're so beautiful. Come and sit by me. Sean Connery is Robin Hood. Robert Shaw is the Sheriff of Nottingham. Nicole Williamson is Little John. Richard Harris is Richard the Lionheart. And in her long-awaited return to the screen, Audrey Hepburn is Marion. No more scars, Robin. It's too much to lose you twice. I've never kissed a member of the clergy. Would it be a sin? I'll meet you back at camp. Don't go. I just want to look. See who's hunting me. King was generous. Sends a message. He wants Robin's head. Oh, mine. He can sit out there forever. He can't put a forest under siege. Will? Well, that's how I see it. If he comes in, we've got him. Chuck? We stay here. The man's mad. You haven't asked what I think. He's out there, Marion. He expects me. I think one madman's enough. I knew you'd come. Of all men, just for you. I know. This is the return of the spectacle and glory of another age, of heroes who are bigger than life and villains who are more than evil. The return of a great star, Audrey Hepburn. But most of all, Robin and Marion is the return of romance. I love you in sunlight. For Robin and Marion, love is the greatest adventure of all. I love you more than God. Okay, that's Robin and Marion, released in the UK 1976, directed by Richard Lester and starring, of course, Sean Connery, Audrey Hepburn, Robert Shaw, Richard Harris. This list is incredible. Nicole Williams and Denham Elliott. Ronnie Barker's in this, Ian Holm, Bill Maynard, Blink and You'll Miss Him Almost, Peter Butterworth in quite a comical little sequence we need to talk about as well. The plot, the storyline, it's 20 years after Robin Hood's heroics against Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham. Since then, Robin, played by Sean Connery, has spent all his time outside of England fighting as Richard the Lionheart's right-hand man in the Crusades and in France. His only connection to his past in Sherwood Forest is his faithful companion, Little John, played by Nicole Williamson. However, Richard the Lionheart is now dead, and a war-weary middle-aged Robin decides to return to England. His first priority, rekindle his relationship with maid Marion, Audrey Hepburn. However, if he figured on a peaceful life, he didn't bargain on the machinations of the Sheriff of Nottingham, Robert Shaw, and King John, Ian Holm. First time watch, mate? Absolutely once before oh right okay um in in part Mm. not in its entirety but in part because the early part of this film probably the first third no memory of that whatsoever so i'm I'm, i haven't seen that first bit i'm pretty sure Mm. the bits once he is back um in england in in um showed forest and stuff yeah i'm pretty that that was familiar to me so i must have seen that at least once but the uh, other bit no so it it was really a first watch because i'd not seen the entirety of yeah, it but yeah I'd, I'd seen it in part before 
it's, it's always been on TV. I've always noticed it on, on TV, but I've never actually sat and watched it, and I don't know why. Why would I not watch a movie that's got Sean Connery, Robert Shaw, and Audrey Hepburn in it, for God's sake, you know? Because um, you're a madman. I'm, I'm, I'm a fool, yeah. And I sat and watched it last night, and immediately, because Sean Connery is there and his presence is such that you know it's, it's, it's Sean Connery, for God's sake, I was drawn in straight away. And as I just said, just reading through that cast list, it's hard to think that this movie is going to fail. And the thing that I took away from this immediately, I mean, we, we can discuss all of this at length, was that, one, it's a very original and wonderfully unique spin on a story that we know. Yes. It's, yeah, it's an extension of that familiar story. The thing that I came away with at the end of this, because it's very sad, it's tinged with sadness and regret throughout, and, you know, there's lots of morals about ageing, and, and the perils of ageing, Stephen, as, as you know, I'm rapidly going <laughs> yeah. through. <laughs> yeah, it, I just watched this just uh, thinking of you. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly, and I think, oh, my God, I'm going through that myself, you know. Do you know what I th- the thing that I thought at the end of it as much as I absolutely adored this movie, spoilers, I would have loved to have seen a Robin Hood made Marion movie starring Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn, but made in about 1960 when they were younger. This being a, a related sequel to that. The, the unmade. Up with the, char- yeah. the characters and their portrayals. Yeah. Absolutely, that would have been golden. To Could you had, imagine had that? Because you get that occasionally. We were talking before recording about the... Um, the sequel to the Railway Children, where the, you know mm. the, some of the cast, like Jenny Agutter, are returning to play the same characters yeah. however many years on, and this would have been because it's not a portrayal of characters that have already been played by other people in, yeah. in the sixties. Say it, it would absolutely be the same characters portrayed by the same people, in, you know, further down the line in in later life, and it would have been absolutely beautiful to have had those, and we probably would have tried to do that companion pieces to each other, <laughs> but unfortunately we just have to imagine what that would have been like. Yeah, it would have been a marvellous piece of cinema, but we were lucky because it is such a familiar story. Uh, everybody knows the, the legend of Robin Hood, whether it's through, I don't know, um, Errol Flynn or the Richard Green TV series or even the Disney cartoon. You know, you know most yeah. people are, are aware. Or through watching a TV series with Sean Connery's son in it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> or even a Kevin Cosner movie with Sean Connery playing Richard the Lion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all linked somewhere along the line here. First impressions for you, mate, because you've watched it for the first time. I'm, I'm, I'm say, I'm, I'm going to lay my cards on the table straight away. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was a magical piece of cinema, mate, wasn't it? It's not strictly speaking because of the story, because the story, as you say, it's a, a retelling of kind of the, the story that we all know. It's, it is the magic that's happening on screen with the um, performances of the individuals, um, and it's particularly. Um, Connery and Hepburn that where the they, they uh, immediately seem to have this intrinsic understanding of their own character and the the, the character of the other, and it's kind of immaterial in some respects what's going on around them because it, it's it's it could be them two interacting and portraying different characters really, but it's what it's it's them 
how they do it that makes this um, magical really that's what carries it for me it's the, it's the it cast just, isn't it the yeah. cast is exceptional drifting away slightly from the two main leads the supporting cast i mean richard harris yes. was born to play a king you know yeah. we've seen him in camelot obviously but he was absolutely superb in this ian home playing another king the, the casting it was it was absolutely superb and let's let's just go through this whole beginning bit because we've got this build up it's been 20 years uh, since you know the familiar story that we should all have been aware of, and Robin has gone off to fight in the Crusades with Richard the Lionheart, played superbly as I say by Richard Harris. Now this movie is is it in France. It's it's opening, isn't it? In France now. It should be France because my recollection is that's where Richard Lionheart didn't win the uh, in the Crusades. Yeah. Um, he, he had one, one victory and the rest of the time was being soundly beaten unfortunately yeah. really and ended up finishing off his time in the south of france and this whole siege of a of a castle bit that's in this trying to get some riches some treasure that, that was, a, was a, it, allegedly yeah. there that what it that is something that happened um in the south of france and and finished him off um in in real history so and that's where they they should have been, but um, it's quite obviously Spain, isn't it? I think they filmed. Well, the whole thing the... is is filmed in Spain because. <laughs> Do you know um, why? So, so many, so many of them <laughs> cast were ta- tax exiles, weren't they? They couldn't actually film this in England, could they? Because of the tax status of most of the cast. <laughs> yeah. But it works. It works. That whole opening sequence before we even return to England, is is a wonderful story because it focuses on the relationship between. Not so much Robin and Little John, but it's the relationship between Richard, isn't it, and, and, and Robin, I think, is the focus of that first 20 minutes or so. Before the king arrives, the the, the bombardment of this tiny castle, it, it <laughs> comes across as awfully monotonous. to be First fair. thing I thought, uh, yeah. And particularly with the, the one-eyed old man with yeah. a frying pan. Well, go um, away. It, it, yeah. it, you know, I expected <laughs> him to start talking about elderberries, but... Um, they then get into the um, the serious business of of the interaction, as you say, between Robin and the King, mm. and then almost straight away after, then there's more of the dialogue and interaction, and almost reminiscing or, or sort of being a bit melancholy with uh, the it's the passing Robin of time, and isn't it? John. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that that I think then then allows you to then suddenly feel the passage of time mm. and these characters been past their prime and and what where they feel they're at in their lives um that's that actual bit is probably more poignant in than some other bits regarding setting the scene yeah it's it's all it's all to do with like you said the failures of the crusade you know they 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 want to return home anyway you know it's it's on the cards that they need to get back home and the fact that they've been ordered to to ransack and actually kill like the the women and the children in this castle and, and Robin refuses to do it and and it's just about this fractured relationship that's probably been strained over the last twenty years between them. You know, he served the king loyally from what we can work out. And they were great friends. You know, we yeah. know that. And as I say, with the passage of time and as people are growing old and weary of battle and he just wants to return back to his life at Sherwood Forest and as I say, it's a marvellous spin on the story that, or, or a continuation on the story that we we are so familiar with. And I just loved that relationship and I loved Richard Harris's performance. And 
one person we haven't mentioned is the director Richard Lester who yeah. you know a lot of people will know from Hard Day's Night and Help wasn't it I think he directed both the Beatles movies but also around about this time he was doing the Musketeers films wasn't he the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers with Michael York and Oliver Reed and all those guys yeah, yeah. and when I realised that it was Richard Lester and it was like a mid-70s production, I was expecting something a bit more on the lines of those Musketeer movies where there's a bit more of a knockabout comedy to them, a little bit more, mm. you know, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. But this seems to take itself fairly seriously most of the way through, which is why I think this whole movie is tinged with this sadness uh, running through the whole movie that... Not necessarily regret at growing old, but perhaps missed opportunities of a life that could have been led. Yeah, there's that and the recognition where, you know, they're taking some of the physical antics seriously rather than it being knockabout. But they're also... Prime example, in, in, mate. Injecting a bit of limitations in that they're, you know, they go to climb the wall to escape out the out of a castle. And, right. and a, a you know, they... it, the, the, the strain that's putting on them as old men that they can't, you know, that normally they would have just chimmied up there and been straight over. And as old men, it's like, oh. This is no Errol Flynn, is it, swinging from curtains or anything in this movie at all? It is, they're literally climbing up like a portcullis type thing up the wall, aren't they, to escape? And and they're 40, 50-year-old men, you know, and I know the feeling. There's no way I could climb up a bloody wall, mate. Yeah, you you stopped doing that two years ago and you're not going to go back to it. Never, never again, mate, never again. But that's what I liked about this. It's it's, A lot of realism is, is at the heart of this. It's, I could associate it with you know, the whole growing old thing. Certainly could see that. With regard to the death, or well, not actually the death, but the arrow that very nearly caused the death of King Richard. Now, it was, it was thrown by hand. Yes. By, as you say, a one-eyed, <laughs> one-eyed man. <laughs> but there's some element of truth into this, isn't there? Because didn't Richard die from complications from a crossbow bolt in his neck. I'm sure he yes. did. That's yes, true, that isn't it? it? And the culprit, whoever was the assailant, did get forgiven and got given, I don't. I can't remember if it was just some money or some lands or whatever, oh, right. got reprieved and, and didn't get executed and, and was allowed to go on their merry way with some kind of reward almost. for. But that was when the king was already aware that they were he was dying of, um, I think it was gangrene or something like that. Yeah. Probably died of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, historically, that was where what actually happened. So that you know, there are touches in this of uh, picking on some historical accuracy. Some historical accuracy, yeah. which isn't always the the case in some um, films, but no, I mean the the biggest the biggest thing I I had to look into this because there's this twenty year friendship between King Richard and Robin. But I'm sure Richard was only on the throne for about nine or ten years, you know. So they've they've extended that period for, you know, cinematic license. But we don't. We're not going to look into that. We're not going to nitpick this movie because of historical. We we could have a lot of historical inaccuracies. Well, we? yeah. I mean, if you know, let's face it. Robin Hood is a fictitious character. I was say, so, so there's no so point. We don't need to really nitpick too much on this. You know, we can just go. I mean, there were bits that were, were mildly uh, amusing to me with regards to accuracy, where I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, right, so the sheriff of Nottingham is, is rocking up to Kirkley's Abbey to go and uh, arrest the abbess. But, I mean, you know, the distance from from Nottingham to, to Kirkley's Abbey was like 70 or 80 miles. It's in Yorkshire. 
Yes. So why he was rocking up to to just Huddersfield area to go and, and arrest somebody <laughs> when that's not on his patch and somebody else might have had a say about that. Oh. Um, you know, that kind of thing, you know, but it was, um, that's only mildly amusing to me rather than, you know, and same as it's amusing, you know, as we said about the accents. Well, the, uh, um, uh, why Audrey Hepburn is doing a, a kind of Irish accent most of the way through the and the were, two two mm, guys from Nottingham are both Scottish, John and Thank you. That's, I'm glad you noticed that. I thought it was my ears. There, there were attempts at a Scottish accent. I think trying to explain the fact that is Nicole Williamson is Scottish by birth, isn't he? I believe. Yeah, they're both, yeah, they're both yeah. Scottish by right. birth, and they just so, thought, we'll just do our own accent. So I, I think everybody else was sort of falling in behind Nicole Williamson and Robin Will- um, Robin Williams. Ro- <laughs> and, and, <laughs> <laughs> completely different move. And, uh, all the other actors are falling in behind Nicole Williamson and Sean Connery because they are the two Scottish-speaking accented characters. And, and you've got Ronnie Barker as Friar Tuck, inspired casting, by the way. <laughs> no. And this was, for, for Ronnie Barker, this was a, a, no, how he had time to do this, because he was, oh, if you look at his CV, he was, um, he was yeah. still doing Porridge, yeah. and it was the overlap between when Porridge was still going on and Open All Hours had started, Wow, yeah. Um, and he was still doing the two Ronnies at that time yeah, as every, well. Every year, yeah, yeah. So... And, so, and writing all of these as well, because yeah. he was so writing he'll, he'll have, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, and he was writing stuff, not, even if he wasn't writing under his own name, Never because did, we know did he wrote yeah. a, a number of bits and pieces under other names. Yeah. He was a very busy man, was Ronnie Barker in this, so I was it, astounded. plays it fairly um, straight as well, doesn't he? Yeah, not, yeah. It, because this is the thing I was expecting, he would have been... In any other Richard Lester character uh, movie, say for instance, like the Musketeers, like we say, uh, that would have been the Roy Kinnear character in the Musketeers movie that had, yeah, yeah. you know, the comic foil. He would have been the, the the main comic foil, and he's only in it five minutes, and he's not in it long enough, as far as I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Peter Butterworth trying to remove the, the arrow, the healer, head. The arrow, yeah, <laughs> is the barber um, surgeon or something they describe? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, you, and yeah, and, and yeah, not used enough, unfortunately. No. You, him and Bill Maynard, yeah, yeah. The, the Bill Maynard in there, and you've got yeah the the these other people, Denham Elliott. I mean, superb. Inspired. This is what I'm saying. Inspired casting. Denham Elliott, a twenty year older Will Scarlet. Absolutely, you can yeah. see that. Ron, Ronnie Barker, a twenty year old Friar Tuck. Nicole Williamson. They didn't pick an actor. That was a giant to play Little John in this movie. You know, he was proper. He was taller than Sean Connery, so he must have been about six three, six four, or whatever. Quite a large well, the both, man. The, I looked at this. The both mm. six two. Is that all? So you yeah. see, so they haven't dwelt on the the usual trappings of finding a man mountain to play Little John that you've no, seen they, in any they, other movie. They, you know, um, what's it? It was in Alfred with M. Pet that was the, the ex wrestler Pat Roach, wasn't it? <clears throat> Yeah, mm. so they haven't, they haven't picked somebody of that ilk, although he was yeah. you know, maybe 10 years later, but they haven't yeah. picked somebody of that size to go and, and do it. No. That, or, you know, um, it doesn't need uh, to be. Bernard Breslau or somebody. Exactly, it's, um, it's not the point of this story, is it? The point of this story is the relationships between the characters and how things have developed and changed and become something completely different over a 20-year period that we knew nothing about. You know, we've we've missed what's gone on in that 20 years but yeah. we but we know the story beforehand which is i think it's a remarkable concept you know that we, we've got a sequel to a movie that never happened yeah and because we know the characters so well mm. we don't need it yeah it's, it's incredible I mean, it's when you think about it learn marvel wise for the, the 
Spider-Man films. <laughs> you don't need to keep telling us the origin story because we've got we it now. It. Thank you. We bloody Batman. We know it. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, that's what I took away from this again. It was the fact that what a remarkable way of telling a what we thought was a familiar story. You know, it's it's a great. There is way. just as a, as a tangent of that. There is a, a Batman link to this. They're trying to get a Batman film done, and because this film wasn't more successful. I think it was Richard Lester, mm-hmm. um, was, um, he was trying to pitch that to the studios and because this wasn't more successful, um, he didn't get the funding for doing uh, a Batman film in the 70s. Which really? might have been oh, fair that's, enough, that's as in that, you know, it might, might not have worked at that time technology-wise, but yeah. depends upon um, Adam West's availability, I suppose. But, um, yeah, because you think about, well, no, Superman was 78, wasn't it? So Yeah, yeah. There was a little bit of a sort of interest. Yeah, you know, Richard Richard Lester, um, it did Superman two, was it? it was two Richard, or three? Yeah, because Richard Donner was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah. I think and Richard Lester did the second yeah. one. I think it was. Yeah. So he got to a, a, a superhero movie eventually, but mm. well, but yeah, the, the cast. Mm. You know, this is is absolutely right. It's a sequel to a film that never that existed. That never existed, and that mm. concept it is. Fairly unique. I'm trying to think of any yeah. other examples where that kind of thing's been done, and I don't think it, it has as such. A highlight for me, and I didn't realise until I saw them both on the screen, that it's the reuniting of Sean Connery and Robert Shaw. Yes. Pitched against each other again. After being opposing villain and hero in, in Bond. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what another great idea that you, you, you bring in together... A partnership or a rivalry, again that we're all familiar with. When you consider, right, this is the thing that was going through my head, and I'm, I'm jumping the gun a wee bit here, mate. But when you look at that that fight sequence on the train in From Russia with Love, yeah, which up to that point in movie history was one of the better, grittier fight sequences. You know, it wasn't, you know, people feigning punches and like, you know, just you know. It, gripping each other by the throat and karate chopping. You know, there was genuine sort of like menace in that fight. You, you'll agree with me there. 20 years down the line, these two actors have aged. Well, it's not even 20 years. It's only 14 years or something. But they're having a fight as two old men. And the physical strain and the pain that they're going through, just because they're wearing armour and carrying heavy swords and falling over in mud... It's a completely different fight scene. It puts a completely different dynamic on what we thought the, you know, the relationship between Connery and Shaw was back in the day of the Bond movies. Mate. But it's it's again it's a realism because that's how the you know a fight scene probably would have played out in reality. Yeah. Um. So that that is good, and uh, you know they were cast deliberately in that sense to play upon what was an, an off-screen rivalry as well in in some ways mm. when they were sort of. Um, I think there was roles that they both put, them, you know, went for that they saw each other as being the alternate candidate for, and were trying to outdo each other. So there was, there was that tension brought in by the, you know, putting the the most adversaries in this film, yeah. um, which actually then tied into the off-screen tension, uh, perhaps. But I mean, there was other tensions uh, in the film as well, uh, off-screen, um, between some of the actors and stuff, because. It wasn't just Connery and Shaw. I mean, Shaw apparently made some quite homophobic comments quite frequently to Denim Elliott. 
Um, not surprised. I've read some stuff about um, Shaw previously. So, yeah, and yeah. Um, then there was the the falling out of of Nico Williamson with well, virtually everybody it seems. Oh, right, was quite okay. Difficult to work with. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was quite an ass to work with. <laughs> Fantastic actor. Apparently quite an ass but at least the chemistry seemed to be working as as we've said between mm. Audrey Hepburn and, and Sean Connery and it's nice to see Audrey Hepburn in a film where the romantic lead isn't 20 years older than her um, and in actual fact she's a couple of years older than him in this in, in reality isn't she I think right. she's I think she was actually three years older was than she? Her, in reality Good. normally she'd be most of the time we've seen her in films and the it's um, Gregory like Peck or whatever. Yeah. On, yeah. on stinking paws with Sabrina and stuff like this. Yeah. Thought, is, I'm all right in saying this was sort of a bit of a comeback for her as well, wasn't it? I think it was. Oh, yeah. What was yeah, the she one where she was the blind, the blind lady trapped in that? Wait Until Dark, wasn't it? I think it was a previous movie, which was late 60s, mm. 67, 68, I think. So it's a bit of a comeback. And when you think about it what a great pairing you know Hepburn and Connery together you know it's like, that's unheard you wouldn't have you wouldn't have imagined it you wouldn't have dared put them together well you can blame her son for that um, okay apparently um, apparently um, she was persuaded to do it not by directors or agents or anybody apparently it was um, one of her sons wanted to see her in a film um, with James Bond <laughs> So she did. Excellent. And, and the filming was not too distant from where um, they were living at the time. So he was able to visit the set and meet Sean Connery. So it was all, all for his benefit and nobody else's mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You mentioned realism briefly just a second ago, mate, about the you know the realism of the fight scenes and the battle scenes. That's another thing I liked about this. There's no gloss to this. Being a bit of a romantic movie because you know there is the, the romantic storyline is at the heart of this as well as the relationship between Richard and, and Robin and John and Robin you know the romance thing and the the lost love element is is key to this but there's no gloss to this you know like there is genuine mud and dirt and grime and very few internal sort of studio sequences it's all location work and very realistic which I think is sort of a hangover from the from the Richard Lester Musketeer movies, if I remember rightly, they were very location based and you know based on reality. Yeah, and it was probably cheaper having uh, an outdoor set in Spain than it mm. would be having something in uh, an actual internal studio yeah. um, anywhere, um, particularly in the UK. Even without the tax dodging, there was still the um, you know what it would cost to hire a. a soundstage rather than just go out somewhere in Spain and film it in, a, in some woods. Uh, it's probably a lot cheaper. Undoubtedly, it was a lot of outside stuff and they could, you know, obviously we've been in Spain, they're able to um, guarantee um, the weather wasn't going to impact like it would in, in the UK. You can't guarantee when it's going to rain and when it's not. But of course, in, in Spain, them being in the woods, they were, they were fine because it only rains on the plains in Spain. As Audrey Hepburn well knows. Have you been waiting to say that all morning? Has that been just like written absolutely down somewhere? Not. No, that actually was, um, <laughs> was just inspired by you. Well, stop um, it, stop it. I'm that sad. Um, <laughs> so it's your fault. It did help the feeling of realism that there were, you know, they were in the woods. It wasn't a soundstage. They were in um, the 
the outdoors in a, a an actual castle set rather than it being again some soundstage or anything i think yeah. that actually helped this film be grounded in that sense yeah part of the realism also is down to the script as well as the location and the sets mate so there's some great quotes in this some great not necessarily one-liners but this this poignancy and say this sadness of of opportunities that have been lost over 20 years and, and Hepburn probably has the better lines I think because when you get to the heart of her story as what she's been up to for the last 20 years you, you touched on this earlier she tried to kill herself didn't she and she was stopped yeah. which is how she would, became a nun wasn't it she was brought back to the abbey and and became a nun there didn't she I think it was after Robin left 20 years ago she decided to kill herself uh, yeah. is that right he, yeah. left, he left and he never worked yeah. yeah and it's it's just incredible when you we know Audrey Hepburn can act absolutely got no doubt of that but it's just it's just Audrey Hepburn, the way she delivers lines, the way, just the general appearance on camera. You know it's Audrey Hepburn, and we, we've known and loved her for years in every other role that she's been in. I don't think she's ever done a bad role as far as I'm concerned. But th- th- there's lines in there where, where she's just reflecting, as I say, about lost love and lost opportunities. Um, here we go. This, this is one I was looking for. They're talking about, you know, the passage of time and Robin says, you know, there's a few bumps and bruises over the years and I've got scars. And she says, yes, yeah, so many scars. You had the sweetest body when you left, hard and not a mark, and you were mine. When you left, I thought I'd die. I even tried. I walked into the woods and laid down by a stream and cut myself. Some damn fool forester came by, took me to the abbey. So they say, no more scars, Robin. It's too much to lose you twice. It's, it's incredible. It's just silly little, almost throwaway lines, and it just tells a thousand stories. And I tell you what, I need to mention as well. Your mate's score, mate, is John Barry in this as well, isn't it? Yeah, York Native. It's again him turning up, and obviously there's the Bond connection that you can uh, pick at. To, yes, again. To see. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that does enhance the film. Um, it's not as iconic the score of this as some of the other. Um, no, that he's that he has scored, mm. but certainly you know it, it, what he does fits um, what's needed to be emotive in the film. Yeah, but it's still a cracking score at the end of the day. Mm. It's, it's very John Barry. As soon as you hear strings, you think that's John Barry. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to take a little wander up to the Village Hall of Fame, if that's okay with you, mate. Why not? I'll get my keys and the function uh, on the path. So, so popular. Village Hall of Fame. At first, I didn't think you'd be bothered too much in the Village Hall of Fame this week, but as I've been talking to you over the last half an hour or so, I think there's a few names and faces that are knocking at the door and waiting in the wings and sitting in the ch- in the chairs, mate. Yeah, there, there are a few. I mean, uh, we have to go through talking about who the just mentioned some of the first appearances, just because they are people who. Um, a better known to us we've got obviously as you said Peter Butterworth and um, we've got Richard Harris first um, appearances for both of those 
Yeah, um, and um, obviously uh, Ronnie Barker as well, um, yeah. which is quite uh, useful to, to to know. So, and we've also then got um, two people who are making their second appearances, and that's Denim Elliott. Okay, yeah. And Audrey Hepburn. Because of Lavender Hill Mob. Because of Lavender Hill Mob, yeah. This and Denim the... Elliott was previously in Holly and the Ivy. Uh, of course, yeah. We're not going to get that many chances to see Audrey Hepburn thinking about it, you know. I, I had a look and was thinking, I don't see how we can squeeze her in again, to be honest. There's no other British movies that could possibly... No. Interesting. We'll have to find a way. <laughs> yeah, try and squeeze her in somehow. We'll find a way. She's, she's only she's, little. Yeah, She's worth it, isn't she? <laughs> and then as far as new inductees mm. to the Hall of Fame, we do actually have two of them, okay. uh, which is, is quite nice. Mm-hmm. So um, we've got a, a guy called John Barrett. Right. Who? Is, who? Um, uh, I know John, John Barrett. Barrett. He's the old boy that's got that yeah. really famous face. Always played Yorkshireman with flat caps. I'm sure he's like your typical last of the summer wine type actor. Is that the guy? Professional York, professional Yorkshireman. Yes, yes. yes. I know. As soon as you yeah. said that, I, I thought that's him. Yep. So, so he's in. So, is he? Excellent. So he's he's come in due to um, uh, Prize of Arms and uh, was in, he was in the very first episode of this podcast. Um, Eagle has landed. There you go. Probably played villager with a flat cap. Probably in that, yeah. (laughs) And the other new inductee to the Hall of Fame is Nicole Williamson. Uh, The Reckoning and Excalibur. Yep. Yes. Well done. Well, both your choices as well, if I remember rightly. As it happens, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do like him as an actor, you know, despite the fact that he's not (laughs) a a very nice person, apparently. (laughs) He was at one point very highly regarded as an actor. He was one of the finest actors of his generation. Shakespeare and all that sort of stuff, wasn't he? Yeah, offered large amounts of money to do various things and turned it down just because he was him. Um, so, <laughs> so there you go. Two um, fourth appearances yeah. um, for us um, on this. Um, that's Ian Holm. Oh, of course, uh, yeah, because he got inducted way back on Chariots of Fire or something, didn't he? I think. Yeah, We've Chariots got... of Fire, and he'd previously been uh, in uh, Dance with a Stranger and yeah. of course, Time Bandits. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, the other fourth appearance is who we were just talking about, which is uh, Mr. John Barry. Brilliant, because we are including. We, yeah. we said, didn't we? We would have to include John Barry. Um, previously, uh, Doctor No um, from Russia We Love and the Ipcrest Firm. And I'd have thought we'd have seen a lot more of John Barry after mm. 100 episodes, but yeah. I, I expect we will be seeing a lot more of him. And then we've got one fifth appearance. Okay. Which is uh, Mr. Robert Shaw. That's um, surprising because of the Hollywood career, but then you forget. You know, pre-Hollywood, there's a lot of British stuff as well, isn't there? So Yeah, so that was Man Who Would Be King, yeah. uh, Russia Will Love, uh, Lavender Hill Mob and Dam Busters. Lavender Hill Mob and Dam Busters? He's the policeman, isn't he, I think, in Lavender Hill Mob or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh my God. So, uh, <laughs> and then to finish off, uh, we've got one sixth appearance. And you can uh, probably guess who that is. That's got to be Mr. Connery, surely. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about him. Yeah, yeah, he might be in this film. <laughs> I forgot uh, all about that. Man Who Would Be King, Doctor No from Russia We Love, Hell Drivers, and A Private's Progress. 
Fantastic. Looking at the cast list, it's a very sparse cast. It is. Isn't it? There's, you you know, can't say when you're drunk. No. And th- there's no mention of supporting actors or uncredited actors, which we normally see, don't we? We normally yeah. see the Victor Harrison. Now, I'm sure Marion Stone or Victor Harrison were probably in there, but just not credited. They weren't tax exiles, mate. They were busy working at Pinewood or something that week. Yeah. I'm sure. They didn't have time to avoid tax. No. Yeah. Too busy working, bless them. Brief mention for Victoria Abril, who played Queen Isabella. Yes. Surprised the life out of me because I thought, I know that face. She's mm. she's playing a 12-year-old, but she's actually about 16 or 17, I think, in this movie. Thankfully, considering oh. the skin show. <laughs> yeah, of course. A little bit towards, uh, a little bit near the knuckle here with the, uh, but the whole... reality, you know, like I said, he'd married a 12-year-old and spends most of his time in bed with, bed with her, the king. It's true. Um, it? It's actually true. That is based true. on truth, isn't it? Well, actually, it was, it, there's no documented evidence of that, I, I read. That he married a twelve-year-old. It was something to do with a rumor that was cast by by somebody else or something. It's, I'm not too sure. We have to have to try and look into that. Some you know, people out there know more about these things than we do, but um, I'm sure there's some dispute as to her actual age uh, in reality. But Victoria Abril, anybody that's watched any Pedro Almodovar movies, mm. um, for a brief time she was like his muse, wasn't she? She appeared in about four or five of his movies in the. Mid eighties, I'd say, through to the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kika, time me up, time me down. I think was the other one. Can't remember. There was a couple, wasn't there? That she had quite a successful career around that sort of time. Got nominated for a few, few awards on you know the European circuit. So uh, still going strong as well. Still acting. Yeah, I think this is the first film that she did, wasn't it? I'm sure it may have been. I'm sure I read she did a lot of TV work as a child. But this There's may... two films that are credited with it being her first film because mm. one was filmed first and the other one was released first. So the one that she she recorded, you know, recorded mm. second came out before this did. Oh. So um, this was actually her first film role as such. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We've also got Kenneth Crenham in here as well. I noticed we yeah. again didn't really notice him until the battle scene at the end. But highlights out of that cast for me, I think, as I said before, Richard Harris, superb in this. Yeah. Um, not even going to mention Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. That just goes without saying, you know. I think Robert Shaw was. It was a very surprising performance from Robert Shaw because he didn't play it like your pantomime villain. No. Again, it's that realism thing we were talking about, isn't it? There was a weariness to him as well. Though. Just about to say that world weariness. He just. It. It's just that whole battle scene where he's just sitting there. And just watching the world go by is in no rush to engage in any form of combat. Sitting there shaving the most remarkable shave ever with a sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only well, Robert Shaw. Yeah, only yeah. Robert Shaw could get away with that on screen, shaving with a sword. Yeah, um, um <laughs> you know, you, Hugh Jackman's probably the only one shaving with a knife. Yeah, I mean it's a bit where the they escape the castle. Mm. Shimming over the wall, and then the the knight or the lot. I think it was actually um, Lord Pudsey, which again is another Yorkshire reference. Of course, it is. Yeah, uh, he um, he's you know all gung ho, ready to take a, a lot of a lot of warriors into the um, Sherwood Forest to try and capture them. And and Robert Shaw, as the sheriff of Nottingham, just you know wearily telling him, "Yeah, I, I used to try that again and again and again." <laughs> and um, and which is you know show, does. That's good again because that's referencing back to the fact that throughout the 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 
Robin Hood myth it is that mm. they're you know they're not learning from the mistakes. They're just continually sending men in and getting butchered. And but he eventually is acknowledging that you know he tried it. You know for for years he tried to do that and yeah, it just didn't you, work. You and go, ahead. go ahead. You, go on ahead then. Yeah, go on. You have a go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, rather than rather than saying no, you're not going to do it. He's just like going. But then, but then, like you said, we we're fully aware of that story. You know, we've yeah. seen it that that it's the forest that defeats the sheriff of Nottingham, not necessarily the merry men. It's yeah. it's the environment, isn't it? You know, that's why they all retreated to the forest at the time. You know, we know that's that why story. It says it's, it's my, you know, Robin says, "This is my forest. Yeah, um, I do what I like here, and exactly. you know, you stay out. Otherwise, you know, this is what will happen to you." Yeah. It, it, yeah, the forest is is a character in itself. It always has sense. been, hasn't it? Yeah, that's um, the thing. We've we've seen it a dozen times in a dozen Robin Hood adaptations, haven't we, mate? You know, in sort of conclusion, as we we run towards the end here, mate. I gave this four stars out of five on Letterbox. I'm I'm very close to giving it five. The more I'm talking about this, because I didn't realise until sitting here this morning, sort of twelve hours after watching it, how much I actually enjoyed it. It's. I'm not going to say it's my favourite Robin Hood adaptation, but you know it's very close, very close at the moment. Like we said, it's an extraordinary idea to have a sequel to a film that was never made because <laughs> people know the, the the story so well, and yeah. then to cast who they did. Yeah, super. Um, not to in any way denigrate the the direction or the script, but I think it probably would have been a, a complete and utter flop if it hadn't have had the, the leads and also these almost cameos from people who, who could just uh, just do their their small roles with aplomb to such a degree. You didn't need a lot more of them on screen because what they did do just sold it. So believable. Yeah. That whole relationship mm. is so believable in this. Um, um, and it's not and just I, script. I, I, it's, it's, it's looks they give each other as well, mate, isn't it? It's just it's, it's the, un, the unspoken stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's... She's talking away, and he is an overgrown kid next to her. Where she's talking away about the serious bits, and he's just sort of looking um, lost at what she's saying, almost. Even though he's picking up generally what she's talking about, but he can't reply because he just—he's not at that level. He's still at the level of you know climbing trees and showing off, not wearing any undercrackers, um, <laughs> and. Um, you know the way that she is the adult in in that sense, um, and manages to to put across the world weariness and the time passage, and you know what could have been, and the change that's gone on in her, and she's she's also got a, a point where she's already mourning and regretting for the future that's yet to happen, but she knows will happen. She's lost more than he has over the last 20 years. Yeah. He's been out playing soldiers, basically. But she can see that she's he's come back into her life and, and, and the only reason he's come back into her life is so she can lose him again. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away about the ending, but mm. boy, what an ending. Yeah. You'll be, you know, you'd have to have a heart of stone not to be affected by that last five minutes. But you, you're, you've highlighted, and, and I completely agree, that this, this is a film about relationships. Yes. It's, it's, not, it's not an action movie, is it? It's, it's, no. it's about relationships. It's about accepting the passage of time, what could have been, what you know, reconciling yourself with um, your life, um, 
and the way it's performed, it could have been different characters doing this. This could have been two other iconic couple of, of man and woman who, um, 20 years down the line, that the fact that it was Robin and Marion, I think, you know, was perfect choice yeah. um, for this to be done. And it just works because of, of that relationship and the people who are portraying it. As I said, not just Robin and Marion, you're right, it's, it is some of the other characters are around the the edge and yeah yeah you, can you know see it. even with it, even with some of the stuff that's chipped in by Ronnie Barker uh, uh, as um, Fire Tuck and Denim Elliott and stuff whether they've got a sadness to them as well yeah um, absolutely and that's you know it it all just works because of that and as we say because it's characters that we already know we don't need introducing to. It's. I think this is why it's criminally underseen. This movie because it is not. It's not a swashbuckling adventure. It's not a typical Robin Hood movie. It is. It's, it's verging on the edge of chick flick almost in the fact that it is a romance. The, the heart of this is, as you said, and we've we've spoken throughout the last half an hour. Or so it's it's the relationship story, um, and not 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 just of the two main characters, not just those two. And that's what makes it work for me. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I want to go back to this again. It's it's a fantastic film. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's criminally underrated, I think, mm. um, because just for the relationships, it's and the the, the dialogue and the, as you say, the the looks that the, they get, the unspoken bits uh, as well, uh, isn't um, it? Yeah, yeah. Not just looks to each other, but looks elsewhere where the you know sh- she's looking her way towards the stream when she was talking about that, you know, suicide thing. Or she's, yeah. Even when she's just talking about uh, the, this fictitious future that she knows what happened, uh, that, you know, next time can we actually have a floor in, in our house? And, um, <laughs> can we have two rooms? And uh, No, they, it comes across as being that there is a, a sadness to it, but also you kind of, a happy remembering in yeah. a way. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, time's gone. And that yeah. that that combination, which is so subtly played by the two leads, particularly makes it work um, when it could. This could quite easily have failed in different hands. But it, it, it they make it fail. believable, mate. This is what we've said. Um, anybody else may not have done such a fine job, but those two in the lead roles just look so comfortable. They, they look. Like they were a couple twenty years ago, you instantly get it. Instantly, should we leave it at that for a moment, mate? Because we've got some more Connery coming up in the next episode. Yeah, continued Connery. Let's take a break. Back after this. Yes, my lord. I ordered you to take this castle. Yes, my lord. Well, take it, bring it down, and get my statue. They surrender. And your statue is a rock. I want it done. There is no treasure. Do it. There are no soldiers in there, just some children and the mad old man. And what is that to me? And it should mean something. Is that disapproval, Robin? Am I in the wrong? I followed you for 20 years. I fought for you in the Crusades. I fought for you here in France. Show me a soldier and I'll fight him now. But I won't slaughter children for a piece of gold that never was. I ordered it. I command you. You do it! You're a bloody bastard, you'll enjoy it! Damn right I'll do it! Now get here! Arrest those two, lock them up, I'll have their heads on! (laughs) 
So that's Robin and Marion, 1976. We're going to go back ooh, 12 years or so. And one of the things we've learned over the last hundred and so episodes is that we are very slow in continuing with <laughs> <laughs> sequences of films that you know we, we intended to fully cover. And one of the ones, again, not criminally underseen, but you know, criminally ignored by us, is the James Bond series. And at last, we're up to only number three <laughs> in in what is, I think, a lot of people's favourite Bond movie. Certainly, a lot of people's favourite Connery Bond movie. Would you agree? I think that there's there is a lot of favouritism uh, of our favouriting rather mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely, it's the it's the one that. I think after the previous two, all the elements are now come together. So, you know, Q is now firmly part of this and the gadgets and the Bond girls and, you know, the whole thing about, you know, a theme tune and the, you know, somebody singing, uh, you know, Shirley Bassey, for example, you know, that's that's the classic, you know, theme tune scene. It's Goldfinger, obviously, from 1964. As, and as we said, possibly the obvious choice to talk about if you're doing anything in regard to a retrospect on Sean Connery. Yes, completely agree. Yeah. It's, um, you know, not only because it just happens to be the next one in the sequence that we're eventually getting around to doing, which you were a bit understated about how, how <laughs> slow how we slow are. We are. Um, <laughs> but yes, this is one where the, the formula has been nailed down to learn the lesson, I think, from... Uh, normal wisdom that they need to nail down the formula quite quickly <laughs> I think everything's here this is the start of what except was to wisdom. come except, <laughs> yeah, except, <laughs> but it is it's the start of what's to come because it's yeah, the classic theme tune gotten. the henchman the you know the quips yeah so and, and it's John Barry again as far as I remember I'm pretty sure it's a John Barry score in Goldfinger um, you know, we've got Shirley Eaton, we've got on a Blackman, Gert Frober as the bag, we've got Odd Job, you know, we've got the Aston Martin. Yeah. yeah, we've got Aston Martin, you know. <sighs> Let's do it. Absolutely looking forward to this one, mate. Part of our Sean Connery season. Keep an eye out, ladies and gents. If it hasn't been released already, there will be a couple of stinking pause episodes coming your way. As I say, what a, what a varied choice over these four movies. We're going to do Entrapment and The Hunt for Red October on the stinking paws Goldfinger's coming up very soon looking forward to it Steve and you too mate absolutely yeah you know to tick another one off and um, one of the ones that as you say has, has got the formula yeah in in place you know beyond time that we got on with it and I, I pretty much watch all the Bonds in sequence 
they're on a constant loop for me so I probably watched this about a year ago was the last time and do you know what it's probably in the 20s that I've seen it now it's not just double figures I think we're going into 20 times I would have seen this so very familiar very familiar with it mate it's been an absolute pleasure talking about one of the legends of not only British cinema but you know Hollywood and the world and and also, and also Sean Connery. I was going to say, Audrey like Hepburn or whatever. Like Peter Butterworth. But, you know. Peter Butterworth, the legend. <laughs> Ronnie Barker. The man, the myth, the legend. But yeah. Ronnie Barker, mate, for God's sake, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah. Honestly. I, mean, I thought we would, we would get him in first would be um, porridge, porridge the, the movie. Porridge movie. But yeah. Again. Very slim pickings for Ronnie Barker performances in movies. There's a couple of those. I don't know if he was in any of those saucy seventies ones, but they did do a film, did the two ones, didn't they? Did that? Well, they did a TV thing called By the Sea and the Picnic. That's, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. I think there was a Navy Lark movie, but I'm not too sure if he was in that. He's got to. He's, he's got to. Again, we'll, we'll shoehorn him into the Hall of Fame if we have to. Him and Audrey Hepburn. That's that's you know our, our plan for the future. But in the meantime, mate, we've got a lot to look forward to. And I will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for being there, mate. I'll see you soon. Take care. Hand up, sir. I'm sick of pain. <laughs>